Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Changes Revisited. My name is Annie McManus. Happy Easter Monday. I hope you are stuffing your face with chocolate if you are that way inclined. And I hope that this Easter Bank Holiday weekend has provided you with some nice restful moments. I'm very happy to be able to give you something now to accompany this Easter Bank Holiday weekend and week. And that is a Changes Revisited episode featuring one of our favourite comedians and one of our favourite musicians and producers. I'm talking about Joe Lysett and Mark Ronson. Now, Joe Lysett appeared on the podcast last May before all the shenanigans with David Beckham. If you missed that, Joe appeared to shred £10,000 of cash when David didn't pull out of his deal with Qatar during the World Cup, despite the criticism against the country's history with human rights and homosexuality being illegal. It turned out Joe had shredded fake money and instead the £10,000 went to LGBTQ plus charities. It made headlines everywhere and sparked lots of conversation. It also highlighted once again Joe's ability to use his platform for activism. When he was on Changes last May, it wasn't too long after he had been in the press for having tweeted a fake Sue Gray report, the official inquiry into the lockdown socialising in government buildings, otherwise known as Partygate. Joe had managed to scare the government into thinking that the real report had been leaked. (laughs) It was hilarious. He was also touring his show More, 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 How Do You Lice It? How Do You Lice It? which is now available to buy and stream on his website joelicet.com. He spoke about the show in the episode and how it, again, very cleverly makes people laugh whilst also highlighting issues within LGBTQ plus communities and pushing for openness, acceptance and celebration. I asked Joe when he realised that this was something he could do and if there was a light bulb moment when he realised that he could enact change through being a comedian. That's very nice of you to say. I, I would dispute that it's all um, activism when yes. I'm sort of talking about my cock and balls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> slightly, <laughs> slightly less activist that. Yeah. Um, but there is definitely increasingly a slant in it. I did an interview with Eva Wiseman in The Observer a few weeks ago, and I was saying I'm not a political comedian. She was like, you are. And <laughs> I just don't think of myself as a political comedian because I think of, you know, your, your Andy Zaltzmans and your Nish Kumars and people who actually are, you know, doing political stand-up and really brilliant um, political work. I don't feel like that, but the more I do recently particularly, the more I realise I'm sort of accidentally a political comedian, but in the way that we're all sort of accidentally having to become political because of the state of politics in the country at the minute. Like, I didn't want to be talking about this because I don't want to be cross about these things. I want these things to be done properly. But the government that we have currently, and even just the fact that I'm talking to you about this publicly on a podcast, I never used to talk about my political leanings, never mentioned who I voted for. I would always try and take the piss out of everyone. But the current batch of um, politicians in power are so uh, seem to be me so immoral and so corrupt and so out for their own um, gains 
that we're all forced to kind of we're watching so many of our institutions sort of break down around us um that you, you don't really have a choice you have to sort of you do have to sort of pick a, a side for, for want of a it's i don't think it's a binary quite like that but you do have to sort of go like mm, at what point do i go i'm not happy with this the thing that i, I realized i wanted to talk about was when dominic cummings was um fanning about going when he's going to, on um, his drive when he's going on his drive and obviously it was i was cross about that like everyone else was because it was a uh, you know uh, double standards of the government but also i had this other thing with my friend who died in lockdown and you know mm. didn't get to see him when he died and i'd been with him for a long time and up until that point but had was playing everything by the rules had a small funeral all of those things and this prick's like fanning off with his family to um, Barnard Castle. But I was t- so cross that I didn't actually, I couldn't use it well. I couldn't use it properly. And yeah. so it was like, actually, I can't, this, I just come across as that. You know, when sometimes you're just so angry, you just sort of end up just going like, oh, and you're a knob. You know, just like you, you, you don't articulate yourself well because you're so cross. Yeah. And actually, I just knew that I needed to sit with it. And then obviously when uh, Partygate came out and all of that, that was the sort of catalyst for me kind of talking about it a bit more openly and a bit more with a bit more bite and spice to it I suppose mm. before that I suppose I was doing a lot of um activisty sort of stuff it's more like just being a bit irritating for companies and that kind of thing when I do got your back and um the documentary I made about shell and all that it's like yeah. but it's I, I think for that that side of things it's very addictive Annie being <laughs> like righteous and sort of going like, I know what's right and wrong, and I'm going to tell these baddies what's right and wrong. And that's, I suppose, why we love watching kind of um, action films where the the goody wins and the baddie, you know, mm. gets you know knocked over or whatever. Uh, I, I've sort of put myself in this sort of goody role, which I realise is a very dangerous place to be because the minute <laughs> you step out of line, ah. even a little bit, so they're coming for you. Um, and I'm sure I'll be eradicated by some stupid um something or other at some point but um yeah it just became very addictive really so it was it's sort of mainly just I love the thrill of it I love whatever chemical goes I don't take drugs I enjoy a glass of wine but um whatever chemical is released when I say to an audience something about something I've done which you know has pissed off a insurance company or something like that I love that chemical and that's what I'm going for really it's not any um altruistic desire to do right or whatever it's just literally I want my fix and that's how I get it I mean there is that I suppose the kind of very straightforward like me against the enemy you know good bad there is a kind of binary aspect to Joe Lice has got your back and all that but then in your stand-up it is way more personal and way more nuanced and you explain stuff in a way that is very patient and kind of so relatable so, you know, you're talking to an entire audience about pansexuality or whatever. Yeah. And there's a kind of way that you do things where it's wrapped up in kind of personal self-deprecation and, and also just curiosity. You just invite everyone in, I suppose. And, and I think that's a really powerful mm. way of opening people's minds. And I don't mean to say that everyone that comes to your gig is some sort of Neanderthal. Who, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's just <laughs> they can it's be. creating they a can conversation, be. you know. Yeah, well, that word curiosity is is interesting because I I always think that when I sort of see people sort of particularly around LGBTQ stuff saying like, oh, God, there's another letter, is there? (laughs) Oh, we have to add another letter, do we now? 
um, that is a lack of curiosity. It's a real um, void of curiosity to sort of say, can we just have the four letters now? It's like the, the world is so full of amazing yeah. things. I mean, there's hundreds of countries and we're not, we're not saying, like, oh, can we not just have two? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, there's, there's so much wonder and diversity and uh, a nuance to life. And that's what makes life exciting and brilliant. Why not allow ourselves as humans to have that? Why sort of restrict ourselves to being you know, binaries and all these things. And I know it sounds all nonsense and left. And this is the other thing is like, I don't, I try not to take any of it too seriously because essentially I'll be dead before mm. I know it. And and so will the rest of us. So it's like, I, I try not to get too bogged down in any of it really. But I do find it extraordinary when I sort of hear from people when they sort of say like, oh, I can't be bothered with this they and them stuff. It's he or she. And I think, why? Why can't you be bothered? What part of your life? Why are you so bored of life? Why? Why not be excited by this? Like it just seems so. Um, it's it, it seems strange to me. I sort of pity them, really. If anything, like, they are not excited by the possibility that things could be different. Were you always this curious person? Were you a curious kid as well? Hmm. I don't know. Actually, I just realised I'd just done a diatribe about they and them whilst pouring. <laughs> Light oat milk into my coffee. <laughs> what have I become? What have I become? <laughs> Listen, that's my favourite oat milk too. Again, another reason for diversity. Exactly. We all thought, oh, they've done it with almond. <laughs> then we thought, oh, soy. God, it's got to be soy. And then they brought out oat. What, what next? next? Rice. And I'll have it. Whatever next, yeah. I'll try it and I'll probably yeah. fall in love with it. Yeah. I'm into it. Um, was I into, what so, was like, questions? I'm imagining you as a little kid, as a kid writing letters to people, and what were you like in school and as a kid? I really wanted to be uh, friends with the teachers. I was that <laughs> prick. I, all of my friends were like older. I was like hung out with the older kids. I wasn't anti-authority in the way that I am now, I suppose. But I think it started to sow the seeds. I was trying to play the game, and I was trying to be liked by the teachers, and I was trying to be whatever. The more I went through that process, the more I realised like they were sort of trying to mould me into someone that was going to wear a suit mm. and get a job as a lawyer, and and that what probably wasn't going to work for me. It's quite astute to know as a kid that you're not going to be that person who's able to wear a suit and be a lawyer. You sensed it, did you? I don't know if I knew that then. I've kind of followed the path of least resistance because I started doing musical theatre things when I was at school in the summer holidays. And that was just so much more fun and interesting to me. Like, I just couldn't see why I'd be... The whole rest of term time was a sort of waste of, like kind of exams and nonsense and then suddenly there's this amazing thing that you do in the summer where you get to show off and wear costumes and all that I was like why am I doing anything mm. else I knew I wanted to be in that world but um wasn't quite sure how and actually I did radio first so I did a lot of student radio and things like that because mm. I wanted to just do something where well you were a talker I'm a talker I like to you speak. went to where you yeah. could talk what were your family like did they encourage this musical theater thing who was the kind of enabler of that Oh, yeah. Uh, Mum and Dad have always just been like, yeah, cool, whatever. And wow. I remember every Wednesday I would go to do a work experience at a radio station in Litchfield. Can I ask how old you were, Joe? Sorry. Yeah, 60. It was um, 16, 17, 18, around right. that time. So you had you had Wednesday afternoons off to do some extracurricular stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, most people just went and like smoked fags somewhere and said that they were doing, they were helping the nan or something. In some ways, wish I'd done the same. But um, uh, ended up going to this radio station every Wednesday. Ended up co-hosting with a guy called Tango, who was an amazing 
wonderful man, very inspiring and very funny. And my dad would always um, come and collect me afterwards and drive me home, which was a good, you know, hour and a half, two hour round trip for him to come and do that. But um, always very supportive. And the same from mum, really, always very excited about whatever I was up to and anything that sort of was uh, bringing me joy, was bringing them joy. So there's, there's been no resistance from them, which was potentially, if it had gone another way, terrible parenting, but it worked out all right. Yeah, yeah. And when did you realise that you were queer, I suppose? And did they realise first? Uh, I remember around that time when I was doing those shows at, um, in the theatre in the summers that there were kind of camp people around and openly out people, and they weren't at school yeah. And I remember sort of finding boys attractive and thinking, oh, well, I'm probably gay then, aren't I? Sort of, and it was a dark realisation. I remember at the time thinking, like, this is bad. Like, I sh- yeah. I sh- I, uh, this is not good news. Um, and trying to sort of think my way out of it. And I originally came out as gay and then backpedalled very quickly when I realised, oh, but women are fit aren't they so ended up sort of being bisexual and then I talk about being pansexual in my stand-up which is a word that I also use for myself but it's a more kind of intellectual description of how I feel about myself bi is the kind of popular word I would say that most people understand but Mm. pansexual is the kind of word that makes the most sense to me but then I've started using queer a lot more recently um, because I think it sort of encompasses that diversity that I was talking about of like it's not only like a sexual attraction thing. It's a sort of, it does filter more into my identity as someone that is unusual, I suppose, and someone that likes to mess around with the norms of society and things like that. But in a kind of, in a kind of fun way, I suppose. I think that's what I like about queer is like, it's like, oh, how queer, yeah. how unusual, how exciting. Yeah. It's not like he's a wrong un. I want to look up the dictionary definition of queer. I haven't done that. Well, it's it is uh, to some elder gays. It's uh, it's still contentious because it was used as a as a slur. Yeah, Um, I suppose. Yeah. So um, I do occasionally get messages from people saying, "I wish you'd stop using that word," Um, Mm. but I won't. (laughs) So so um, so thanks for your message, but I won't. I think it's one of those where. It feels so accurate for me that I, um, I'm happy to be called it. It's a nice kind of umbrella term, isn't it, for yeah. everything? But it, would, yeah. it wasn't in, in the old days. I appreciate that. Yeah. Joe lies it there. He also talked about his childhood and becoming a comedian, a funny encounter with Nadine Dorries at the BAFTAs, and losing his friend and the perspective that gave him, which prompted him to do more creative things, including making a coffee table book of bins. There's only one Joe Lysert. That book has happened, by the way, and it has been released. I believe it is sold out, but I did want to revisit his enthusiasm for bins here now that it's out in the world. I'm obsessed with bins, Annie. I love the idea of really trying to dig deep into that obsession with bins. Like, where the hell does that come from? I don't know, but I love them. <laughs> I've, li- I've got this wall. I can just see now, like, hundreds of bins on my wall, and they bring me such joy. <laughs> don't know. Don't know what it is. Just think they're... I love the word bin. I love... They're everywhere. You're never far from a bin. <laughs> and someone's had to design it. Someone's had to put it together. Love it. And there's a very that's funny... What I um, call, that's what I call the holiday inns. I call them holiday bins. Lovely. They're kind, of, they're kind of bins for human beings, aren't they? A lot, yeah, you know, they well, are. Holiday well, bins. We do get out of them at the end. Also, of the can, we, can we discuss Travel Lodge? Mm-hmm. It's... If it's Travel Lodge, there should be two L's. It's Travel 
lodge. Is it all one word? It's all one word. So they've gone with travel lodge or trave lodge. Yeah, no, that's not okay. Trave lodge. Yeah. What is that? It's not okay. You're right. It's just not I like okay. how pedantic you are about that. I would. I agree. Amazing. You can now see Joe Lysett every Friday evening at 10pm on Channel 4 with his new show Late Night Lysett. It's a live show from Birmingham with guests and lots of silliness. And of course, listen back to the Full Changes episode if you fancy as well. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our second guest we are revisiting today is seven-time Grammy Award-winning producer Mark Ronson. Known for working with people like Amy Winehouse, Lily Allen, Adele, Lady Gaga, Miley Cyrus, Queens of the Stone Age and Bruno Mars, who he collaborated with for his single Uptown Funk. Mark experienced big change as a child because he was born in London but then moved to New York at the age of seven after his parents divorced. It was great to sit down and have a long conversation with him and really find out about his life and career. We're going to jump in when he talks about his transition from being a DJ to a producer. I remember DJing Kanye's Grammy party for the second album, I guess, uh, Late Registration. Mm. And I remember he, I was rocking it and he's like standing on the DJ booth or like nearby with the friends around. And he's like, this is Mark Ronson. Like whenever you see Mark Ronson on the turntables, like in one of my parties, you know, we're having the best time because he's and I, he was paying me such a compliment yeah. that in my mind, I wanted to be where he was and taken seriously as a producer. But so like, I remember thinking like, like I remember thinking like Kanye's paying me, paying me this huge compliment, but actually inside I'm like, damn, no, like I, I this is how far away I've gotten that like the guy who's doing what I want to do just sees me as this DJ. DJ. But obviously, wow, yeah. But, you know, like you can't get mad that somebody doesn't know you're a producer because you've never you haven't made a record anyone's heard. Like, it's just like, you know, so you have to just get there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we got there. You got there. I think we can all agree. You there. pretty much got yeah. there. What have you learned about yourself in being a music producer over the years? I get to work with some, you know, pretty incredible people. I don't just mean like how famous or successful they are. I just mean like all these artists from... Yeba to Josh Homme, mm. Q-Tip to King Princess. These are like very touch, very smart, very in tune. In, in whatever way they're in tune. So you're always going to learn something being around those kind of brains. Uh, you know, and they're looking to learn something from you too some of the time. But 
Oh, I'm a sponge. Like, I'm still a sponge. So I'm always learning. I mean, if I had to say learn about myself, what do I know about myself? I think I'm a good listener. I think people feel safe uh, going into their feelings around me, which is a good thing to have if you're a producer because you're looking for people to be vulnerable in their music. Yeah, I think that's a thing a lot of people don't know about or think about when it comes to kind of the daily grind of being a music producer. It's actually quite emotionally taxing. And I know this because I'm married to one. Yeah. And he comes home at the end of the day and I'm like, babe, let's go out for dinner. I want to go see his friends. And he's like, no, I've just been around people yeah. all day. Like all I want to yeah. do is sit on my arse and eat dinner and like hang out with my family. That's me. I'm good. You know, a lot of the time there's people like, He's never met. He has to come in, make them feel at home, connect with them. As you say, make them feel comfortable so that they feel okay about pouring out their emotions, yeah. helping them figure out how to express those emotions, then building a mood around those emotions with them in the room. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's, it's, it, when, you're, when I work on my own records, it's like a little, it's a bit easier because it's like, okay, I'm the captain of the ship. I get to be the, you know, the emotionally uh, yeah. sensitive, fragile person, or at least I'm the boss. But yeah, when you're working with somebody else on their record, you are like set to receive. You're an empath. You're there. It's like a, a child running around in a room and you're just there to constantly like catch it if they fall just right. uh, just to be and receptive to any idea they might have or to pull something out of somebody and to completely set yourself to their wavelength or their energy it's not what everybody has to do it's just the way that i've got the best results yeah. it's actually when you describe it like that exceptional practice for parenting for good parenting when you're supposed to put the kid first and just like react to them and follow them and let them lead it's that vibe isn't it yeah yeah so with that in mind like why do you think you're so good at it because you are good at it you know you've worked with the greats you've allowed amazing iconic albums to happen i think that there's two sides so i think i'm probably a good good listener and that kind of thing because i grew up in in a kind of like hectic a house where I was always trying to be the peacemaker probably and be the listener and maybe not that that kind of thing and then I th also probably like there's something that could be a negative of that like it could be probably I'm sure a little bit people pleasy as well and that kind of thing where you're just constantly want everybody to feel good and things to be okay but some of that stuff has probably honestly served me well in, in my job as you know but I think it's about as you become aware of those patterns it's about distilling it's like okay well how much can I phase out this thing that's probably not that healthy because you know in the past few years I've really done a lot of I guess work is the word because the way that I was going and the level of drive and workaholism and all this stuff, what I was doing sure. to my life was just not healthy and was no real way to live a life. So you're like, but also this is the thing that's got me here. So how do I actually figure out what the bad habits are, what the good ones and distill it? So, and then you just realize like actually those things like you can let go. It's not like you're suddenly going to forget how to stop making music because you're just trying to be a bit more of a balanced human. So when you say like the things that you are cutting out and changing in order to become more balanced, what are they? Like, cause I noticed with you when I've worked with you in the past, you're always like nomadic from place to place to place to place. Yeah, 
I think, again, that was because work was by far the most important thing in my life. I'm probably thinking like, well, if I don't go to this place and I, I'm not in L.A. where the center of the musical universe is and then I'm not going to be there for that call that comes from blah, blah, blah. And, and also because work was this reliable, well, no matter what else happens in my relationships and all this thing, work is always here for me. And I think even becoming a producer for me was in some ways like coming up from the slightly, you know, just hectic and the childhood that I had. I think that I found this job where the description is like, I am alone in a room and nobody can fuck with me or tell me what, what's going on. You know, it's like there's probably some kind of correlation between that as well. So a big change has been moving back to New York. It's funny that that's my big right. adult life change and my big uh, childhood life change in a way even though I've only been back in New York for a year, um, yeah, just there's some kind of decision that like, instead of running around and chasing work and I'm gonna set some roots and water the ground where I live as opposed to trying to just run and be afraid that if I'm not in the right place, I'm not gonna you know, get the gig or whatever it is. It's such an amazing transition that when it happens I think when you kind of take control feeling like if you don't do the job you're not going to be able to progress the momentum will die off people will stop caring the work will stop and then it's kind of redefining your idea of what success is so it's this idea of success being accolades and bigger names and bigger lineups and bigger bigger everything up 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 rather than success actually being stillness and your own sense of Peace yeah. being a successful thing. Absolutely. And that was a thing moving back to New York because to the people listening, I mean, I'm sure in New York, it doesn't sound like I moved to like the middle of like Arkansas, but you know, for most people who might not know, New York, LA is definitely the center of the musical. 92% of songwriters and artists and people all live out there in New York, which used to be such a, a vibrant place and, and always will be in some ways because it's New York yeah. and it's so inspiring, has been a little bit of a, you know, a, more of a wasteland for like music. But I'd rather, you know, live in the place where my like spiritual self and the thing is like feels most fulfilled and psyched to be in and not worry about the other stuff and just like make the best music uh, that I can. And how's it been since you've made that decision? Terrible, terrible. I can't. No one's answering the phone call. It's like they forgot I even lived ever. Um, got it. Uptown Funk was only. It was only 2014. It's only eight years ago, guys. Nothing breaks like I a wasn't heart. Was like to the Brits. What the fuck? I know. Come on, let me present like best like kazoo solo. I don't know. Um, no. So it's it's been amazing actually. It's hard because you know I love London and I've was born there my dad my siblings my stepmom I have so much family I care for it so much and then even living in LA wasn't my favorite but I have family there too but I think I had to leave New York to realize how much I am sort of a native New Yorker and and coming back over the past few years I was like oh my god this is it this is why I need to this is where I want to live hopefully for the rest of my life let's see
so since being back that's been great from that level and even musically you know i'm back in the studio where this is funnily enough the place where i was in like 2005 to 2008 so where i first met amy like in this room you know this is where we did all of version when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Nobody gave a fuck who I was at all. And I was just with Santi Gold and Daniel Merriweather and Lily Allen and just making records with friends. So it's kind of nice to be back in this room where I was doing stuff in a very like creative, prolific period where I had nothing to prove and was just making the stuff that I love because that's a good place to get back to when you're, you know, as I'm kind of working on this album right now and working on music. And there are really interesting people from... You know, Travis Scott to Daniel Caesar to, you know, a lot of people like love New York again because it's like a it's like an underdog city and it's not where everybody is. Right. So people coming gotcha. back here to make records. And so I've, I've been enjoying that. Uh, Mark Ronson, man, he seems to be in such a happy place. He's now married to a second wife, Grace Gummer, Meryl Streep's daughter. And I know they have a child together as well. In this episode, he also talked to me about growing up, his relationship with his family, getting into music, heartbreak, and how his wants and needs are changing as he's growing older. It's a really interesting episode. So that's it from us this week. Do listen back to the full episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and continuing to listen to Changes. It means the world. And we are going to be back next week with a whole new series of Changes. Do subscribe so you have it ready to go as soon as it drops. We've got plenty more wonderful guests to come, I promise. Enjoy the rest of Easter and you'll hear from me next week. <laughs>